Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we bow to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. We thank you that you set your love upon us from all eternity. You sent your Son to provide a great salvation. You included us in your plan. We thank and praise you. For your mercies to us in these days, we're grateful. We thank you for calling us together today. We would ask that our time be well spent. Would you open our understanding that we might profit from what we read? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our lesson today, we're continuing the 10th Psalm. The 10th Psalm is uh, a prayer of the oppressed. In the early part of the chapter, arguments are marshaled to vindicate the cause of the oppressed. The the oppressor is charged with two crimes. One is pride, and the other is tyranny. And the arguments have gone like this. We'll begin at the second verse and read, The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Now that's the the two charges laid out. Pride and persecuting the poor or tyranny. Let them be taken in the devices which they have imagined. And then he goes ahead and deals with the matter of pride first and subsequently with the tyranny. The wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His waves are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. Then he deals with tyranny. He sitteth in the lurking places of the village. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, 
God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. And then we have the psalmist pleading. The evidence has been marshaled. The case is proved on the face of it. And so he says, Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it. For thou beholdest mischief and spite, to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his witness till thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. <clears throat> now, most of us have never been in the straits that David was in. He, uh, his words to Jonathan, there is but a step betwixt me and death. And that was not an exaggeration. Had he been a split second slower, the javelin of Saul had gotten him. Or had the Lord not been on his side in the wilderness of Ziph, he was surrounded. When word came to Saul, the Philistines have invaded the land. So, David very well knew what he was talking about. And while Saul, while Saul was the epitome of his oppressors, it was not limited to the king. We remember Nabal. Nabal who dwelt in prosperity. When asked for a handout on a favorable day, said, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? that I should give my stuff to him. There be many servants nowadays who break away from their master. Thus he insulted 
David and showed that he had no respect unto him. The case having been presented, the psalmist pleads for favorable action. In verse 12, Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. Confident of the justice of God, he has presented the evidence, and now he calls on the judge to arise to judgment because he knew that once the Almighty was stirred into action, the case would be resolved. And so boldly, the petitioner calls out, Lord, do it now. In the verses 13 through 15, he summarizes the description of the wicked and the evil of his character is traced back to its source. And that is worth taking note of. The source of his <coughs> wicked character is improper views of God. This is described in verse 6. I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Verse 11, he has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. And verse 13, he has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. So we had improper views of God. These are still rampant, common, not only not only in the land, but in the church. Improper views of God. The Bible is plain if we, if we, if we believe what the Bible said or if we bother to find out what it said. The Bible tells us about a sovereign God, one who rules, reigns, who controls all things, who does as he pleases, who is never surprised, who is never disappointed. And sometimes in our humanness we forget that and we we uh, we fancy that God is taken aback when when we're taken aback 
sometimes uh, I'm taken aback at the very wickedness of my heart. But God is not. He knew all along what was there, and he led me in a course where I would discover. And so we have here another urgent plea for the Lord to show his power to reveal his justice. In verse 13, the hope of the infidel is laid bare. He will not believe that every evil work will meet with punishment. We think, well, that's just too much. There are too many people in the world for God to keep up with every one of them. We have, our views of God are much too low. He knows the thoughts of my heart and your heart. He knows your intents, your motives, your drives. So, well, I can't imagine that. That's true. Can't comprehend it. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55. But that does not, the fact that we think a thing does not make it so. God is righteous. He is all-knowing. Acts 15, 18, James said, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And Part of his work is to bring every evil deed into judgment. When Abraham made his famous query, Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? His question was, Would the Lord destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, the answer to that question, we may think we know. But what we do need to know, I don't know the answer to that question. I know that sometimes it certainly appears that the righteous perish when the wicked are prospering, and that uh, when the earthquake comes, 
both the righteous and the wicked suffer. But I know this, that the judge of all the earth does right. And when, in a time to come, when we have all the information that we need, we will say, he did right. It may seem difficult. It is difficult. To give up my child. Job did. All of them. Seven sons and three daughters. He said they were not really mine. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The wise man says in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. No hiding from God. The wicked says, I can't believe that he will require it. He has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Now this word in th verse 13, Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? Now this word contemn is an old English word. We do not use it nowadays. It is not the equivalent of condemn. Its equivalent is contempt. To treat with disdain. Or to... Um, uh, treat with contempt. And then he presumes to say that God will not require it. But the psalmist knows better. The, uh, and so, verse 14, the all-seeing eye of God has seen and will deal with sin. From divine justice, there is no place to hide. David describes this over in the 139th Psalm. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. 
Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Now, <clears throat> that is a comforting thought to the innocent. It's a troubling thought to the wicked. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Understand that? No. But that is the greatness of our God. He sees all, knows all, and will judge the world. And not only will he give a just recompense to the wicked, but here we see he befriends the oppressed. So Paul said in writing to the Corinthian Christians, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, don't get in a hurry. to uh, evaluate or judge everything. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. <coughs> Verse 14, Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Now, in, in looking at an example, the poor committing his case unto God, I suppose we have no greater example than the Savior. Peter, in commenting on that, says in 1 Peter 2, 
verse 21, for even hereunto were you called. And this hereunto means suffering when you do right. Now, all of us understands about suffering when you do wrong. But if you suffer when you do right, this is what Peter is talking about here when he says, Hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And that's what we need to do. The time may come shortly when True believers are reckoned to be the problem. And uh, I do not think that we can find scriptural precedent for civil disobedience, for sit-ins for uh, undue lobbying. The example given here is committing our case to him that judgeth righteously. And he is quite sufficient. But here he says, The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Now this is a wonderful comfort to those who are orphans. It's a comfort to those who have children to recognize that if they were no longer on the scene, their children would not be destitute. They would have a champion. Psalm 68, verse 5, A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation, a father to the fatherless. And this term, a judge of the widows, means a source of help, a one who deals righteously with widows is God in his holy habitation. <clears throat> so, here the psalmist 
calls out, Thou art the helper of the fatherless. As one of the poor, I have committed myself to you. And so he says in verse 15, Let the wicked lose his power to sin. Stop the tyranny. Arrest the oppressor. Show them all they are but men. This is, uh, this is what uh, was pleaded back in the ninth psalm in the concluding verse. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Mutable, mortal, uh, corruptible. That is, subject to death, subject to change, subject to lose all that they call advantage in this life. <clears throat> Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. So he says, they deny your justice. They say, thou wilt not require it. So let them feel it. They deny your justice. Let them feel it. To the men who had neither justice nor mercy for the saints, there shall be rendered justice to the full without mercy. James 2.13 For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. The psalm ends with a song of thanksgiving to the great and everlasting King. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. To judge the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. So, thanksgiving to the great and everlasting king because he has granted the desire of the humble and oppressed people. He has defended the fatherless and punished the wicked who trampled and cared not for his poor afflicted children. 
So we should learn. We do well to carry our case to the Supreme Court. And by the Supreme Court, I mean the highest, not just in this land, but to the King of Kings, where rights will be vindicated and wrongs redressed at his throne. His government does not neglect the interest of the needy, does not tolerate the oppressions of the mighty. And so the psalmist says, Great God, we leave our case in your hands. Do that which is right. Arise, O Lord, and let the man of the earth, the creature of a day, be broken before the majesty of thy power. Come, Lord Jesus, and glorify thy people. May it be soon. I think we might uh, read over the next psalm and uh, make a start on it. The 11th psalm is also one of David's. <clears throat> In the Lord put I my trust. Now this, this uh, outset of the 11th psalm gives the summary and the final conclusion 